Hello, and welcome to the Tech UK podcast. I'm Neil Ross, Policy Manager for Digital Economy at Tech UK, where I lead in our economic policy, as well as our approach to the UK-EU negotiations. As you might have guessed, in this week's podcast, Brexit, what do I do and what comes next? We'll be talking about the end of the transition period, how businesses in the tech sector can prepare for the new trading relationship with the European Union, and perhaps more importantly, what comes after January 2021 when it comes to UK and EU tech policy. First of all, please bear in mind that when we recorded this podcast, the negotiations were still ongoing, so all you lucky people in the future might now know how things shook out. However, much of what we discuss, including what steps businesses need to take to prepare for the end of the transition period, applies in both a deal or no deal scenario. To talk all things end of transition period, I was joined by Dom Hallis, Executive Director of Codec, the trade body of technology startups in the UK, and George Riddell, Director of Trade Strategy at Ernst Young, to discuss what the feeling is among businesses on the ground and how they can start preparing. We were then lucky enough to be joined by the MP for Gosport and the UK's Minister of State for Digital and Culture, Caroline Dynage, to hear about the support the UK government is providing to businesses to help them prepare, as well as the government's ambitions for the tech sector next year. And finally, we spoke to Cecilia Bonafeld-Dahl, Director General of Digital Europe, the EU's trade body for the digital and tech sector, to get the Brussels perspective and her view on how the UK and EU tech sectors can work together after the end of the negotiations. First of all, we caught up with Dom and George to understand what the feeling is among businesses and how they are thinking about preparing for the end of the transition period. So thanks, George and Dom, for joining us today. Uh, the first kind of question I wanted to ask is, obviously, maybe at the beginning of 2020, we might have thought this would have been the year for, for Brexit to dominate the news again, but it's, it's firmly been supplanted by uh, COVID-19. When you've been speaking to businesses about preparing for the end of the transition period, how are they handling both the pressures of coronavirus and trying to repair for what will be a major change at the end of the year. Um, maybe, Dom, it would be good to hear from a startup perspective because, you know, they have usually have very small teams. It must be a lot to juggle. Yeah, so, I mean, I think the reality is that, that they're not really juggling it. I mean, what, what we hear time and again from the startup ecosystem, as as we have over the course of the past sort of three plus years at this point, is that is that they're not preparing. Right. As in, and, and part of that is because it's hard to know what exactly they need to prepare for. Like it's been a movable feast over the course of the past several years. Um, and part of it is, is, is as you say, like a, a kind of lack of capacity, which is, you know, even if you knew what you were doing, you wouldn't necessarily be capable of doing it, particularly, as you say, when you're in the position of trying to uh, sort of frankly, like keep, keep your business afloat uh, amid a global pandemic. George, is that, is that something similar that you've heard from larger businesses that you've worked with? Thanks, Neil. I think the, there are three main areas that we've seen uh, COVID really impact. The first is the around the people. So Brexit committees have either been repurposed into COVID response committees um, or key staff have been furloughed. So, so that internal resource point, I think, is incredibly valid. And there's only been sort of, I think, in the last two to three months, those committees starting to be reformed and refocusing on Brexit, but it's taken definitely the focus away over the course of the year. The second impact is around uh, the drawdown of stockpiles and working capital. COVID really has drained um, a lot of resources out of companies in order to survive over the course of this year. And, and that certainly impacted their ability to put aside uh, working capital and, and also product for the end of the transition period. And the third area is, is probably a bit more complicated, but it's where 
companies have shifted their supply chains um, as a result of COVID. You know, you've had trade barriers opening and closing and borders and, and all the disruption around the world. So companies that had prepared for Brexit last time around, if they've changed where their supply chain is operating, their Brexit preparations might not hold for those new supply chains. So they're having to look at it again, um, but probably with not as much time or, or detail that they would have done previously. Wow. So a big impact, not just on, on the resources that companies have, but even where things might have changed over the COVID period, that's having a subsequent impact on, on Brexit. So it's not just a case of, of kind of dusting off your old preparation. That's uh, that's maybe not going to stand you in good stead this time, particularly where things might have changed. I mean, over the course of the, the coronavirus crisis, the government has put out a lot of financial support and other forms of support for businesses. Is, is some of this helping with, with the Brexit preparation or is it just a different kettle of fish altogether? Uh, I don't know, Tom, if you want to uh, give us your view first. Yeah, so so I think it, I mean, it's been a, a mixed bag on the on the financial support. So we've been really pleased and, and worked really hard with the government on some of the support for, for the startup ecosystem, things like the Future Fund, which I think has been a huge success and has now given out nearly 1.7 billion in public and private capital over the course of the past sort of six plus months, um, as well as some innovation funding and you know the the sort of bounce back loans where the businesses are really small but have revenue. I think there's a challenge of sort of two things colliding. The first is there are an awful lot of businesses that slip through the cracks of that support, even even um, where it was provided. So, you know, if you're a, an early stage startup that's pre-product but has a, a sort of venture style business model where you're building and, and spending money to build, if you don't have revenue, then you weren't able to get a loan. And, you know, if you're a really early stage company, you weren't able to access the future fund. And so actually you're just in deep financial trouble. So the idea of uh, you know, be, repurposing any money to do Brexit stuff when actually you're just fighting for your survival is, is really tricky. I mean, where uh, what we've been asking the government to do is is provide some tailored support uh, through the form of vouchers or, or whatever uh, that can allow businesses to access the expertise they need to, to make these kind of changes. So in, in truth, like our biggest priority from the startup ecosystem perspective is, is, is data flows and the future of adequacy. Uh, and we know that that's still very much up in the air. It's going to be a huge challenge. Um, and so in truth, like the, the best thing the government can do and the thing we're urging them to do is to provide uh, resources or support that allow a bunch of startups to, to to change their contracts and build in standard contractual clauses, which at the moment we've, you know, we know startups uh, in some cases have done, but actually in the vast majority of cases haven't. And I think that's going to be the, one of the big challenges. And it's that kind of practical support on this particular topic is the thing that's sort of been missing from the debate so far. And George, is there something similar on your side as well? I, I'd agree with a lot of that. I think there's a lot that, that is different, though, in terms of the skills and, and everything else that, that's required for Brexit preparation. You know, certainly some of the recent announcements around the Trade of Support Service for Northern Ireland has been extremely welcome. Um, but there, there are still gaps and companies aren't ready. So going into the end of the year, I, you know, I think we should be concerned. It's definitely sort of coming up to a crunch point and, and particularly when I speak to some of our members, we still hear lots of questions around how things might pan out, particularly in relation to things like data adequacy, as Don mentioned, or, or Northern Ireland. Um, how much do you think a deal will actually help answer some of those questions or do you think we'll still have a lot of, of outstanding questions, even if you know Michelle Barney and David Frost come out and say we've got a deal tomorrow? Uh, George, what, what do you think of this? 
So from, I think from our perspective, particularly for services companies, um, the value of a deal is, is vanishingly small. Um, leaving the customs union, leaving the single market does mean that change is coming regardless of whether there's a deal or not. Um, you mentioned data adequacy. That's certainly a big uh, concern for a lot of the clients that we work with. I'd also say around some of the mobility provisions as well. Um, when you look at service providers, you know, right now, any of us could jump on a plane and go and provide a service in the EU with no questions asked. All you need to do is book that plane ticket, COVID exceptions sort of sitting to one side, um, but in, in the normal world. But going forward, the activities that are allowed under um, that business visitor definition are extremely limited and you can't provide paid services. So, and, and that's the case whether we get a deal or whether we don't. So I think companies do need to understand that that change is coming and the value of a deal, you know, certainly for some manufacturers around tariffs is incredibly important, but that doesn't apply across the board and, and change is coming. Yeah. So when we get back on a plane next time to go somewhere in Europe, it might not necessarily just mean wearing a mask, but filling out a lot of paperwork ahead of time and knowing exactly what we can and can't do when we land. Exactly. And, you know, if, if we use Switzerland as a bit of a proxy here, it can take up to eight days to get a... Um, work visa approved and uh, you know there is a financial cost associated with that as well both in the time and, and the application fees and if you're having to do that for every member state that you go into that's suddenly a lot more paperwork and a lot more money that you're having to spend. And that's something that would have potentially happens either deal or no deal unless something exactly. can be built into the agreement. And Dom how, how do you think a deal would affect the startup community? So, so I think there's I think there's sort of two two sides to when we talk about deal. I think I think the first thing, as as, as sort of George rightly said, is like <clears throat> you know the actual substantive aspects of the deal themselves have, have because of the shift over the course of the past you know several years of negotiations are, are are perhaps less appealing than they might once have been. But actually, the truth is like the the sort of deal quote unquote is in many ways also a reflection of the the way in which the negotiations have been conducted, the potential for future relationship and engagement, and and frankly just like the the tone of discussion between two partners and so i think like actually where you look at something like adequacy which isn't directly tied to the deal the truth is the tone and manner of the negotiations and the way in which they end will impact hugely on the progress on things like adequacy and and you know like the the sort of dispute over the internal markets bill and the extent to which we can be held up against our international obligations are of course very important to the way in which the european commission would think about granting adequacy or not and so i think like the there's a sort of really um there's the kind of substantive aspects of, of what would be in any deal document and then there's the, the secondary part about like the, the tone of those negotiations um, in terms of the the sort of broader impact on the startup community and, and investment and then things going forward again I, I think it's you know I always joke that that um, investors oftentimes are, are much more about mood music than they are about uh, hard hard uh, policy and the truth is again that that then it reflects in a similar way to what I just described, which is actually, it's about making sure that there is sort of a substantive engagement and a clear discussion and that um, it feels like that the government is, is is doing a good job, basically. And a lot of that comes down to like, are we able to successfully negotiate? Are we able to successfully deliver? And does that relationship between two important trading partners look as, as, as effective as it can be? That's really interesting. And definitely, I think when we look at how we 
move on from the, the Brexit years, as you might call them, from 2016 to 2020, how we reset that relationship and engage afterwards, I think is going to be hugely important just to tap the tone around what the UK looks like in, in 2021. And I know that's something a lot of our members have raised with us as well. Now, maybe, maybe sort of devil's advocate question, but say you were, you were in the supermarket and I came up to you as a, as a uh, business person, obviously two metres apart, uh, and said, I haven't started preparing yet. Where, where should I go? What should I look for? At the time left, um, where, you know, just over a month um, until the end of the transition, uh, the idea that you're going to be able to implement a full Brexit preparation plan um, is gone even understanding all of the various interdependent risks on your business um, that Brexit could potentially um, trigger, again, is not going to happen at this point in time. What we're really um, advising clients who, who are in this situation is, you know, sort of keep your, the lights on actions. So you don't have time to rent a warehouse now, but you maybe still have time to put in a shipping container in the staff car park or use some empty offices because of COVID and get in the the critical components that, that you might need to get you through sort of the first couple of months of January. But this idea that you're going to have a full warehouse um, full of stockpiles at this stage is just not going to happen. Um, also, things like, you know, if you are expecting serious discussions, have conversations now with your key customers and key suppliers and understand, you know, and be willing to prioritize them. Um, off the basis of, you know, whatever the criteria is of your business. But if you do have those priority accounts, make sure you're talking to them now, what sort of preferential um, either, you know, payment schemes you can offer them if they are going to be in financial trouble or whatever, you know, whatever, there's lots of different options there. But that early engagement is still possible with a month left. So it's things like that, that, you know, full Brexit preparations, definitely not. But there is still things you can do. Um, that are very practical and operational in order to prepare. So that priorities list should be being pulled out as quickly as possible to work through. Don, was that something similar you'd advise any startups who came up to you and asked? Yeah, so yeah, so I think I think we, you know, from the very start of this uh, codec, we've been really focused narrowly on a fair, uh, a sort of small number of these issues, partially because they're the ones that reflect. Uh, you know, uh, most on the startup community, but also just because the capacity of startups to deal with these issues is, is limited. Um, and so, like, the truth is, like, there is still the opportunity to, to take action on things like contracts and standard contractual clauses. And, you know, it's not going to be easy to turn stuff around in a month, but the truth is the ability to at least assess your risk is 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 possible in that time. And, and I think that's really where we'd be, you know, what we'd be uh, saying to, to startups is is how do you make sure you know at least where your risk appetite lies over the course of the next month and realistically what some of the challenges are I think I think one of the things that is interesting that George was touching on a little bit there is is like what we've seen is like a lot of the challenges often stem from if for example if you take you know data flows uh, stem from large foreign customers who or, or suppliers who simply just like don't don't understand the nature of the changes that are coming um, and you know and actually in many cases is like you know when you think of the startup ecosystem like the truth is most of the people who supply their services uh, are, are oftentimes like larger companies who are capable of, of adapting themselves and so the startups have that adaptation in many ways forced upon them I, I think I think the challenges come where uh, the startups themselves are in the UK and supplying larger companies abroad uh, that simply just aren't, aren't aware or understanding of the potential changes required and I think that's something that um, that we're still going to be facing in many years to come uh, uh, let alone sort of the course of next month 
so quite 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 a lot still to be done and, and, and trying to prioritize things will be really important particularly in the sort of what is it uh, three or so weeks that we may have left to prepare uh, and with Christmas as well that takes a few days out of the calendar uh, unless you're going to be preparing for Brexit while cooking your turkey at the same time um, but other than sort of looking at what we have to prepare for the end of the transition period what do you think is some of the potential opportunities that businesses might have not just through free trade agreements in the future but also where new uh business opportunities might emerge at home to help other companies deal with uh, the consequences of uh, leaving the European Union uh, fully and then managing the trading relationship with Europe. Uh, I don't know, George, I know you work in this space quite a lot. Is there any areas where, where people are looking at new uh, potential opportunities or are things still very just focused on the end of the transition period here? So I think the, the more prepared of our clients are already looking beyond the end of the transition period into next year. And I think, you know, you make a very good point that the UK is going to be operating in a new trading environment and businesses will have just have to adapt to to that. And I think those that do earlier on are going to be the ones who are able to seize those advantages, even, you know, if it's uh, around utilization of existing trade agreements in the UK, we're actually very bad at you know using the trade agreements that we have. If you look at the utilization rates um, for for British companies, they are incredibly low. So looking to you know make greater use of what we currently have, I think is something that that's quite important. Um, also, um, you know traditionally it's been you've had your public affairs uh, team doing the government engagement, you've had perhaps a customs or procurement team looking at some of the those border issues, and then you've got your HR and immigration team dealing with the movement of people. Bringing all of those together and, you know, getting a more holistic view of how your business is actually operating internationally, I think can uncover a lot of those opportunities that might not previously uh, have been flagged if you're just talking through the different silos. That's really interesting. I think that that whole concept of a more holistic approach to business could be really revealing. And I certainly know from, you know, engaging with our members and various um, uh, other uh, contact points that they have that, you know, no one had thought really twice of it exporting into Europe, uh, which is where most would have done their international trade. So the fact that this becomes a whole new set of business concerns and business areas could, you know, unveil some potential opportunities, although uh, it, it may take some time, but it doesn't, does seem to be something that's in it. Uh, Dom, I don't know on your side, is there something, uh, anything from the startup community, they're often some of the fastest moving, the ones with the new ideas. Have they had, a, had been thinking about what they can, uh, can do and where they can innovate at the end of the transition period? Yeah, so I, I think I think what George said there was really interesting. And one of the things about the startup community, as you say, is the, the kind of reality is that they plug the gaps that they that they identify once they emerge. And so I think one of the you know one of the challenges at, at, at sort of soothsaying in this in, in this area is actually you know we're now a month out, but we're still not sure whether you know a, a deal will be conducted. We're still not sure exactly what the terms of our exit will be. You know, we're still not sure exactly how the European Union will react in, in January. And, and and I think that. Um, when we have a clearer sense of that, what we'll probably see is, I'm sure, uh, a wide range of, of early stage tech companies, you know, innovating and plugging the gaps and, and creating new markets. As businesses are preparing, the advice and guidance offered by the UK government has served as the main resource for many. Caroline Dynage, the UK's Minister for Digital and Culture, tells us what's available from the UK government, as well as her ambitions for the tech sector next year. 
thanks very much, Minister, for joining us today. It's, I mean, so thankful for your time, particularly at such a busy time of year, um, particularly as well with lots of technology companies thinking about how they're going to prepare for next year. It'll be great to get a sense from you about what the government's doing, what you've put on your website, and what you've maybe got planned for the future. I know there's this huge library of support on gov.uk. I know we've been through it, and it's some really excellent stuff. But if, say, uh, I was a leader of a technology company in Gosport and, and walked up to you in the supermarket, obviously it's socially distanced, and asked kind of, uh, help me, where, where should I look to find some advice ahead of the transition period? Where should my first port of call be? Yeah, it's, it's a tricky one for people, isn't it? Because we still don't know um, when... Uh, when and if um, uh, uh, we, we will reach an agreement um, with well with a free trade agreement at the core, uh, and we don't exactly know when that's going to be announced. But regardless of whether we reach a, an agreement with the EU or not on um, our future relationship or on adequacy, we will be leaving on the 31st of December. So, um, and that of course will involve a series of, of changes, but also some opportunities for business that come with this economic. Um, independence. So the, there is a whole range of um, support to help businesses prepare for these changes. The best place to look really to start with is the gov.uk forward slash transition page. And that's just a massive repository of information about the sort of changes that businesses will face um, after the end of the transition period. And it's also got some really good kind of practical tools um, which allow sectors to seek very sort of tailored advice for for them um, then we also publish uh, regular updates about new guidance and um, and regulations. And uh, in DCMS, we've had a series of webinars and workshops and information sessions about how to prepare for the end of the transition period. So there's a whole range of uh, of, of different um, information available. But you know what I would say to businesses is that uh, time is running out and and any preparation that takes takes place just won't be wasted. So, you know, if your company is involved in selling goods or provide services to the EU, or if you undertake any travel to the EU, or if you employ overseas um, nationals, or if you uh, use personal data from the EEA, you've got to prepare for those changes. And the best way to find the information how to do that is pretty generic information. You go to the gov.uk forward slash transition to get the info that you need. Brilliant. So if I'm a business as well, that maybe, you know, reams of papers aren't, aren't, aren't my thing of way of getting a sense of it. You said there were some webinars and some uh, kind of audiovisual material. Uh, where is that? Is that all fine through gov.uk as well? Yeah, so there's um, uh, the, the gov.uk is there. You can also um, access some information through DCMS, but um, also um, Tech UK have got um, a link on their EU exit hub as well. Yeah, we've, we've got a link as well up to kind of all the webinars and podcasts as well that are available from government. So if you want to watch something as opposed to reading information, it's, 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 really, it's there and easy for you to get. There you go. There's a plug for you right there. <laughs> Thanks. Um, the data adequacy is one of the big issues. You mentioned it earlier. And it's not just a tech sector. Obviously, cuts across a huge uh, amount of the rest of the economy. What, what sort of work have you been doing with the ICO, but also within DCMS to help people uh, prepare to, to get ready for uh, you know potentially a no adequacy outcome, or just to understand what, how it may or may not impact them? 
Yeah, data adequacy is such an important issue for the tech sector. And you know, we, we know we've only got weeks to go and the EU has yet to make a decision whether they'll accept that the UK's protection regime is adequate. You know, we do have um, very high protection for personal data and we'll maintain that. Um, and, and that will sort of basically continue on the same regulatory framework for data protection as the EU used. And so it's, you know, it's clearly there's an equivalence there. And so we don't see any reason why we shouldn't be given um, adequacy which is clearly in both everyone's interests. But so what we're saying to organizations really is now prepare to ensure you can keep data flowing lawfully from the 1st of January, whatever the EU decides. And if you go to um, gov.uk, um, go to the ICO website for expert advice. And, and there's also practical support there to help you put the right measures in place. Uh, and you know, the main action that organizations need to take really is to, is to have um, an alternative transfer mechanism, which is standard contractual clauses in place with their counterparts in the EU or the EEA, just to ensure that we can keep that data flowing lawfully and uh, and there's no changes to the way um, that flows. Um, we know that um, uh, things to Gibraltar and other countries that are deemed adequate by the EU, that, that won't change, but we're ensuring the message is really amplified across all our channels of communication to give us the maximum possible reach to businesses of all sizes. And the, the Minister for, for Media and Data, that's um, John Whittingdale, he, he, he spoke to the um, Open Data Institute Summit earlier in November and really stressed the importance of that preparation for that no adequacy outcome. Brilliant. Yeah, thanks very much. And just for, for anyone who's listening who doesn't know what the ICO is, it's the Information Commissioner's Office, which is the yeah. UK's data protection. Isn't it horrible how and we very early move into these horrible acronyms. Sorry, Information <laughs> Commissioner's Office. Uh, no worries. Yeah, I mean, I think anything to do with end of the transition, there's lots of acronyms, but uh, I think certainly from a technique point of view, we've looked very closely at the ICO guidance and the DCMS guidance on adequacy, and it is very, very high quality. So we definitely encourage businesses to look for it. It should stand you in good stead if we don't get the adequacy agreement. But as you say, we are hoping for the best and we do have a strong data protection system. So we hope that that is the, the eventual outcome. Um, just to kind of move on to what we can expect to see from government before the end of the transition period. Now, I think uh, as we're speaking today, there's possibly only 28 days left, I think. Uh, maybe that's what the current is, but very, very soon. Um, what, what can we expect to see from, from government in the run-up to help businesses prepare a bit more or to really remind them of the actions they need to take? Um, so what I would do is encourage businesses to subscribe to our transition newsletter if they haven't already done so. This will flag the latest guidance the government publishes and we'll, we'll give you the, um, the way to do that in a moment so you can flash it up on your screen. And then um, if a deal does go, um, go through, if we get, get that agreed, we're going to obviously then provide much more information for businesses on what it means for them. So just keep checking that, um, that gov.uk website. Yeah, and I'd heard from some of your colleagues that that's all being prepared in the background, so there should hopefully be a swift update once uh, if a deal is through. Yes, one would hope so. <laughs> That'd be it'll be good, I and mean, it will always be required. But people should still be preparing now. I think is the important message. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, and just sort of thinking beyond the end of the transition period. Now, obviously, we're doing a lot of preparing now, but you know, life does continue on after after this whole process is over. And the government's really ambitious about what the the tech sector can do with the wider economic recovery and play an important role in the UK economy. Uh, I mean, we're speaking on Microsoft Teams today. Other platforms are available, but these sort of tools have helped us as we go along uh, to use technology for businesses to understand what it can do for them. 
what, what kind of role do you see our sector playing in, in helping the economic recovery uh, next year and beyond? Yeah, you're, you're right. I seem to, um, I spend some days where I bounce between MS Teams, Zoom, Google Meet, one after the other, and the um, the mute buttons are always in a slightly different place, aren't they? So I end up making a fool of myself quite frequently. Um, you know, I just feel that the digital technologies and data have played such a fundamental role in in our response, well, actually the world's response to um, COVID-19 and will we'll play uh, an even greater role in, in our role in our recovery from it. Uh, because, you know, we've all had to embrace digital technology, whether that's from uh, the way we keep in touch with our friends and family, uh, right the way through to the way that we do our everyday work life, and even uh, accessing uh, you know, local services like GP services now, you know, so many of them are now online that weren't before. I, I've heard a credible statistic. It's gone from the sort of the, um, you know, less than 10% of GP surgeries offering online consultations before COVID to now up somewhere in the 90s. You know, it's it's a phenomenal uh, uh, development. And we, you know, to, to assist this, we really want the UK to be a nation of digital entrepreneurs and innovators and investors. Um, and, and we also want to underline uh, our ambition to make um, the UK the best place in the world to start and grow a digital business, but also the safest place in the world to go online. And those two aren't um, mutually exclusive. Sometimes people say to me, you know, how, how can you do the both? But actually, I, I think actually if people feel that there's a robust safeness about inherent in the way that they access the digital world here, you know, that just underlines the, the um the confidence in it and actually enables us to grow a whole range of uh, of, um, of businesses around that whole safety tech world, which I think are uh, really potentially very important for our economy because there's, there's going to be so much global demand for it. So, you know, the national data strategy is a framework for action that we're going to take on data. It's not the final answer, but it's, um, it's a really big part of the conversation as to how we support data in the UK. Um, and, uh, we, you know, we're also working on a new digital strategy which we'll publish next year and that's all about driving growth in the digital sector and um, ensuring we maximize the benefits of that digital-led economy. So there's a whole lot of work going on at the moment just to sort of really drive growth and capitalize on the, the engagement in the digital world that we've seen over the last few months. I know, I know it's, it's really great to see so many strategies coming out from the government uh, are being consulted on by the government this year. So it should be a really exciting uh, year next year for, for, for tech policy uh, people and businesses thinking about trying to invest. Um, even just beyond the UK, though, we've seen with the J agreement the UK has struck with Japan, you know, the government has really positively put digital at the heart of the improvements they've made over the EU deal. Can we expect to see something similar with other trade agreements as we go forward and the UK kind of putting digital and the digital economy right up there and it's a global strategy for the kind of global Britain agenda. Yeah, I think it's really very much at the heart of our sort of worldwide um, uh, uh, ambitions. You know, we, we've seen businesses in the UK advance 10 years in the space of two months and we're living in an increasingly digital world and we really want to sort of maximise the potential of that. I think part of that is about being unashamedly pro-tech as a government and having the government's real support to make um, our tech businesses thrive and flourish and really promoting, as I say, worldwide the UK is the very best place to start and grow and run a technical business. Um, 
we've seen so much uh, investment in in UK tech companies. Last year, it was a record amount, 10.1 billion pounds was invested in tech companies. And that's more than any other country on the continent and and third in in the world. Um, And through the British Business Bank, we're supporting uh, so much uh, finance, more than 8 billion pounds of finance to over 94,000 smaller businesses in the UK. The Startup Loans Programme has been incredibly um, supportive. And, And I was really pleased to see the Chancellor announce funding for the expansion of the startup loan schemes in the spending review last week. Uh, we, you know, we're investing in emerging sectors like artificial intelligence and quantum technologies and robotics so that the next generation of businesses are based here. Um, and through our modern industrial strategy, we want to raise the total of R&D investment to 2.4% of GDP by 2027. Um, so that's all about the UK maintaining this really strong commitment to supporting um, and delivering a really, really strong um, UK digital platform and um, domestic data and and through a real global fora as well. So, um, you know, we work very closely with the OECD and, of course, the G7 when we, we've got the presidency next year. And I think we're also working towards a much more um, strategic approach to governing digital technologies to drive growth. That's all about making our regulations and our regulators really well equipped to face the digital age as well. Getting that right um, is absolutely key to a really flourishing digital economy. We want to drive competition, but also to ensure safety and security and really promote our democratic values online and, and promote that around the world. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we just recognize that there is so much opportunity to grow some of our existing tech specialities across the UK and, and the importance that that will go towards driving prosperity within our regions and how hugely important that is towards our sort of ex- export market and attracting the sort of brightest and best here to the UK. So it's um, it's it's a fundamental part of, of how we, um, we we want to place ourselves in the world moving forward. Well, that's, a, that's just a fantastic statement of intent. I can't imagine anything that we really disagree with there. So uh, I think we look forward to really working with you next year into to what that looks like uh, after the end of the transition period and how we can put sort of tech at the centre of the recovery. But I mean, thank you so much for your time, Minister. That's been a great catch up and, and have a nice day. Lovely to see you. Thanks so much. And last but certainly not least, Cecilia Bonafeldau gives us her reflections on the negotiations from where she sits in Brussels, as well as how she believes the UK and EU can continue to cooperate on all things tech in the future. Cecilia, really nice to have you here and thanks for giving up some of your time to talk to us about sort of the, the negotiations and how it's being viewed from a Brussels lens. I think interestingly, it'd be good to know sort of, do you think we're maybe discussing the right thing? I mean, right now we're in the run up to the very end of these negotiations and it seems to all be about fish. Uh, and maybe less so about the digital economy. Um, so do you think we're maybe tackling the right things as this negotiation comes to a close? Well, honestly, it's uh, from a little bit from a distance. It seems odd uh, to discuss uh, fishery as it's only around 1.3 billion in exports, whereas the digital uh, del- delivered service is around 190 billion uh, pounds uh, of exports. So, so. I think it's very important to keep a very facts-based approach from the industry. It seems to be all politics uh, once in a while, uh, and really getting confused in in in, not in small things, but but uh, but you know, unproportionate 
attention given to uh, to issues that people can easily understand whereas you know the consequence of for example disruption of the digital economy will have a profound uh, effect on uk and on on eu of course yeah and it's i think it's really fascinating particularly because it's reached this kind of final quite political point but but before the uk left the european union you know we often were in the european council leading in some of the discussions of digital very aligned with what other member states were saying so, so how do you think we get back to that collaborative relationship once the negotiations close what do you think the first steps will be from politicians and from industry to really you know reset our relationship Maybe first look a little bit internally. I mean, for Digital Europe and, and Tech UK, I think the collaboration is is absolutely fantastic. Uh, it's of course a balance on this uh, negotiation on each side, but but we have to stick to the business views and really be representing business. And businesses are, I would say, the major bridge, uh, basically to to uh, to do the policy alignment, to do the investment alignment going forward. And we've seen that, uh, you know, in many in many other cases, that that business can be kind of um, the mediator for uh, for politics, and and I think that's that's crucial, and that will be our role, uh, both now, but also even more importantly in the future. And of course, for for digital Europe, we also recognise the importance that we will have uh, for UK. I mean, now UK basically they don't have any negotiation power at the table. Basically nowhere, not in the council, not in the parliament, not in the commission, and uh, and of course it's also, um, I mean, uh, for us to understand the importance that we will actually uh, take in this matter to also represent uh, UK as an equal uh, European partner uh, in uh, in the poli- policy matters. Um, of course, it's going to be it's going to be difficult. I mean, UK was always kind of the liberal big brother in the U uh, in in the EU, and I think there are many countries, amongst others, my own that will uh, that will miss the UK at the table um, but uh, I mean for hope hopefully business will be the same um, and uh, our economic ties and our cultural ties are so strong that that uh, that we will as a business and not least as associations really have to be closely linked and and work uh, with the decision to make it on both sides <laughs> to uh, to keep a very facts based um, discussion and not let it end in in uh, in uh, them and us yeah and I, I think that that's certainly shared among business uk business representatives i know we were very keen early on to say that you know while the uk's left the eu we haven't left europe and it's still very important to, to be aligned and collaborate um, and I think when you say your own country, you mean Denmark. And, and yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and just interesting to hear sort of, obviously we've heard from our members in the UK what they're concerned about, but what are some of the big issues that members from Digital Europe have raised around these negotiations? What have been your, your kind of top priorities when you've been uh, having discussions with European Commission officials and others about what we what you want to see? I mean, we've had three main uh, priorities, um, one being free trade so so quarter free trade um another one being data flows i'll return to that in a second and uh, then simple and liberal rules on uh, of origin um just maybe looking at trade uh as i said before the the digital economy is a major export uh, import and trading uh factor for for uh, for eu and for for the uk and uh and i think we uh, we see that that if if we are to re- remain kind of partners, we really need to uh, to understand how big the economy and how we cannot have tariffs and and other barriers um, uh, across the board. Also, because the um, 
the the industry is so interlinked. It's not only about EU and 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 UK. It's actually also about the full supply chain of global uh, of global supply that it will be disrupted if we have a UK as a major uh, barrier there in the middle um, in the free free flow of goods and and services. Um, and that takes me to to further trade issues. I mean, WTO, uh, multilateral trade systems, rule-based uh, trade systems. They, this is, of course, uh, a part where we can really and should work extremely closely together, as we do now, um, and make sure that we partner up on messages and and how we approach international institutions and and uh, and proposals. And uh, and maybe looking at data flows. I mean, yeah. this of course is a is a major. I mean, I think um, UK stands for around 11% of the world's data flows, and I believe that 75% of that is uh, between UK and 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 EU. Um, there's no doubt that a disruption in inadequacy would be absolutely devastating. We uh, just launched a report last week where we see that uh, six out of ten European companies actually uh, trade uh, or if, if transfer uh, data uh, from from UK and, and EU and vice versa. So this would really be a, a major disruption of the economy. And I think it's uh, one of the things that we need to learn is, is to tell the real stories, you know, real showcases. Who, who are the companies? What will actually happen to them? And uh, and make that extremely clear. Again, not competing with uh, with um, with um, economic uh, factors that have much lower impact on on the eco economy than data flows so a major a major uh, topic for us definitely on, on the data flows yeah and that, I mean it's been a huge issue for us as well there was there was a report that University College London and a think tank called the new economics Foundation in the UK released just last week that highlighted that the, the impact on the economy would be a negative hit of 1.6 billion pounds if we didn't get data adequacy. And that wasn't even taking account of the impact on the EU. So that the total cost is uh, enormous and it'll always be so important to make sure that we, we get that vital agreement. Um, just sort of thinking ahead when we think about you know what's coming next, I've seen that Digital Europe has its sort of Masters of Digital conference coming up soon. And just wanted to get a sense from you, what do you think the big global issues that we need to tackle um, in technology and digital diplomacy are coming up and maybe how we can work better together on those. I mean, now that, uh, let me start by one thing. Of course, uh, we will actually take the initiative to invite and together with with, uh, with Julian, your, your CEO for Tech UK, of course, stakeholders and ministers from, from the UK to show that we are one team and we stand. Um, and really to have a start that kick off that dialogue on digital uh, regulation and policy coordination uh, and and to, to really uh, maintain those ties. Um, then second, I would say US uh, now uh, with the election and a new uh, and a new uh, president stepping in. Uh, of course, this is extremely important. The, the the disruption of data flows that we have had with uh, or we are having with uh, with the US at the moment after the Schrems case. Um, this is definitely a, some something where we have to to uh, to maintain and 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 keep a close relationship with UK with the US on transatlantic um, relations. And then I think in general, as I said, uh, if we look at WTO and other multinational um, associations on trade, uh, we stand very strong together. Um, and then, of course, we have the COVID recovery. Uh, there's, <laughs> I mean, we have been... Um, 
we've been, I would say, not fortunate, but we've been blessed with um, Ursula von der Leyen, who is a, a fantastic leader. Uh, she's able to really um, work with the council. It's always been like the fight between the council and, and the commission and, you know, the other institutions. I really see her bringing um, the institutions closer to each other. And one of the, uh, one of the, major things that she's just done is to set a target of 20% of the recovery fund. So it's around 750 billion euros and 20% of that will be earmarked to digital investments. Um, and of course, here we need to to find out how can we actually collaborate our good uh, on, on research and development? How can we um, uh, stay as close in the loop uh, as possible? Of course, the negotiations are not over yet, uh, but I do see on cybersecurity in other areas, it's absolutely it would make absolutely no sense if we do not um, evolve uh, our collaborations also through uh, the, these funds to uh, to rec restore the economy. And and I hope that that UK will do the bold move of also setting you know a concrete target on digital investment. And I think uh, I know that Tech UK is a super strong advocacy. Uh, um, uh, organization, but I do hope that, you know, those showcases on what does it actually mean? How big is the digital economy actually compared to many of the, the other discussions made? And there needs real money on the table. I mean, to actually solve these big issues, we actually need uh, money on the table. I would say UK so far is uh, is a little bit better off than the rest of Europe and in that matter. I mean, we know that uh, Europe, uh, including UK, Used to, uh, used to uh, have around 11% of the world's unicorns, and 6% uh, of those 11% uh, comes out of, of of the UK. So there is a strong innovation power, and uh, so there is there should be an interest from both sides to keep that innovation collaboration and 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 the recovery um, uh, very close. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you, and certainly we are looking at the the UK government will have a, a new budget next year a new spending review settlement, and then we think there will be a real strategy on the UK side in, in 2021. Uh, and we're pointing to some of the work that Ursula von der Leyen is doing and that's being done at the EU level as a, not, not necessarily for the UK to do the same, but to, to match the ambition. And we hope as well that that helps with the cross collaboration between, between the two, uh, the groups, the UK and the EU. I think just sort of reflecting at everything that's happened, I mean, you mentioned the US as well, the sort of 20, uh, 2016 to 2020 has been a phenomenal time in our politics, particularly for kind of internationally focused business organizations like ourselves. What do you think we've maybe learned from the last four years and, and where do we think we need to, to improve or do better as we go forward? I appreciate that's a big question. Let me just some of your thoughts about First of all, I mean, I think if to be critical of ourselves, right? <laughs> all of us yeah. techies, right? Um, I mean, how can we still be uh, second in line to, to, to I mean, so I, I, <laughs> I, I hear actually also a cry out. I remember uh, a few years ago, I had a meeting with a commissioner and, and he said like, listen, I, I don't get this. I mean, I have agriculture all over the place. Uh, you are the guys who can change everything, who can basically uh, reach all, help all the other sectors to reach their targets but I don't see you working with them. I, and we have learned, and I also actually think that Tech UK has, we are working on health. We do have our health working group. We do have our manufacturing executive council, and we are working towards that, but we should move that even even further and more quickly. And we should learn to take the place that we, uh, that, that we deserve, but also that we have an obligation to 
as an enabler of, for example, uh, you know, research on vaccines or you know, helping the CO2 uh, emission to to uh, to decrease, etc. Right. So we also have an obligation of not sitting uh, back and say why you're not listening, but really to 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 take the role uh, even more than we do now. I hope that we have improved, uh, but 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 I think we should just be very aware that. That, that that is an obligation on us. Uh, we are basically disrupting, you know, trade systems, uh, you know, innovations, everything, and uh, that 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 uh, really puts also responsibility. It comes with responsibility. Um, second of all, um, I think it's become extremely clear with uh, the innovation on, for example, security. Now we have seen the NATO, for example, struggling to say, you know, in in the past we've had all big uh, technology uh, innovations coming from 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 the military side and right now it's really coming from the private side so the the, the private sector has taken a new role both as a mediator of um, of regimes and dif- different ways of thinking and 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 govern in the world to basically align uh, across the world um, to harmonize regulations like GDPR, a big harmonizer, and um, and that we also need to engage much more actively uh, and that trilateral uh, discussions actively and and be much more also not waiting for waiting for the proposals to come out from the legislators, but also actually putting proposal on the table on how to solve the, the problems or the great stuff that we are, or enable the great stuff that, that our sector can do. Um, and then lastly, I mean, the world is becoming a small place, right? So yeah. I think we are now doing an interview maybe with three or four different destinations uh, or locations just now, and, um, and we're getting used to it and it seems to work fine, right? So the world is becoming a small place and that will also put pressure on uh, on governments to align rules on, on many things, uh, amongst others on digital, but also on taxation, on, on many other things. And uh, and digital has a has a has a role, or either indirect or direct in that. So um, so it, we uh, we have to stay super sharp on on the effects of this, uh, both for for the good and uh, and for the things that needs to be um, corrected. I love the idea of digital as a problem solver, but also a motivator of change as well. That's a yes. really great concept. Yeah. And everybody loves change, except when it happens to them, right? Yes. So. <laughs> yeah, but, but we've learned, uh, even though it's been a very changing year, some good things have come out of it. So there are uh, definitely things to build on for the future. I think there is. I'm an optimist, and and I see now a focus on digital and health, digital and climate. Uh, you know, strengthening uh, the 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 trade systems, hopefully, and the security uh, security systems again. Um, after a bit a bit of a hiccup with the with the U.S. maybe, um, but uh, yeah, I'm positive. I I believe that uh, when positive things happen, if we address the challenges up front, um, then then. Yeah, everything might even, you know, really come out re- well in the end, and it's, and it seems to. It seems that we have now, at least also for an EU, a, a commission who is balancing out, you know, just throwing regulation at you, and um, and at the same time really getting the point that digital is a major enabler for for the society uh, and the societal development. Brilliant. No, that seems like a fantastic place to end. So thank you very much, Cecilia. That's been great. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. And if you're preparing for the end of the transition period, find it useful. We'll post links to all the guidance referred to by Caroline Dynage, along with this podcast on Tech UK's EU Exit Hub, which can be found via www.techuk.org. You can also find the latest transition advice from the UK government at www.gov.uk forward stroke transition. So thank you. 
And be sure to check out the library of Tech UK podcasts covering everything from our review of the year in health tech, the future of quantum computing, and how we can use drones for goods. Thank you.